Full Power Living with Eileen Dillon. Generally, when we think of business, we don't associate kindness with it. But Jill Lublin, who's the author of The Prophet of Kindness, is with me today to tell us about how emphasizing kindness in business brings multiple profits to businesses and their leaders, employees, and customers. What are some of the ingredients of kindness? You can find out today on Full Power Living, where we're helping the world to realize and work with the importance, power, and mastery of human emotions. We welcome your questions and comments on our radio show page on EmotionalPro.com. Well, Jill Lublin is an internationally renowned speaker on the topics of publicity and networking. And as author of her best-selling book, Get Noticed, Get Referrals, and co-author of the bestsellers, Guerrilla Publicity and Networking Magic, Jill is a master strategist on how to capture the attention of the media and increase your visibility in the marketplace. Her latest book, Profit of Kindness, is just out and has now reached bestseller status on Amazon. So we want to congratulate Jill and welcome her to Full Power Living. So Jill, so much is changing so fast in our world. Business, in my experience, used to be focused on making money and things like emotions or kindness were considered soft topics. They weren't considered part of business, and I see that that's changing, and I'm curious about what has actually happened in business that we're now finding that by including something like kindness, we actually can make more money. Yes, and thank you for asking. What a, that's a great question. Companies have seen that kindness works. It's interesting, when I was writing Profit of Kindness, we did a lot of research, and the companies realized that Kindness contributes to the bottom line, makes their employees happier, makes their customers happier, and generally uh, serves the company's health in every way. People who are more kind tend to be healthier, happier, wealthier, all the good stuff, right? So uh, kindness does work, and it's actually now shown, just like happiness, that it really contributes to a better life. You know what I, I liked when I was reading your book? is a quote, you say, kindness is what it means to be human and that it's rooted in our biological need to bond and connect. So when we're kind, we're feeding or helping each other with bonding and connecting, correct? Yeah, big difference. Think about the, shall we call it, the evolution of humankind. (laughs) Funny enough, (laughs) inhumankind is the kind word, right? Right. In fact, I was following a bus the other day for an uh, insurance, and it said human kindness. And it just really occurred to me, yeah, it's right in the words, humankind. It's it's built into our biology, our science, who we are as as a race and evolution, is based on kindness. How could we have perpetuated ourselves if it weren't <laughs> at one level? Right. So to help your reader understand more about how kindness works, you break it down into its characteristics. I think you call it the seven pathways to kindness. And then you illustrate how each of those can impact people and business and the bottom line. And in your book, The Prophet of Kindness, you list these pathways, which are connection, gratitude, patience, flexibility, generosity, 
compassion and positivity. And I, I'd like to expand our conversation to look at our need as people and as a culture to develop kindness in life today. I think some of these characteristics seem to be in short supply these days. Yes, well, you know, have you ever tried calling a utility company? I know my patients get tested, right? <laughs> I, you know, I, I love to try certain things. It's like, all right, can I be patient? And, I mean, I tried to pay, to pay my taxes the other day, and it was fascinating working within their computer network, their phone network. It was almost impossible. I thought, oh, this is really interesting, you know. So particularly the area, funny enough, of patients, it's not just me. I know it's everybody who seems more impatient. And part of that is because everything comes at us so fast. Part of life is moving so fast. So what I'm fascinated by is, yes, these are in shorter supply, and yet in on the other side of that, some of this is more prominent than ever because, you know, just watch. I mean, Honda ran a, a kindness campaign for their cars, and major companies are starting to really understand that the consumer really wants more of all of this. Uh, you know, I embrace it as a general umbrella term called kindness, but inside of these pathways is the way to kindness, and each one of them does lead to it. Each one of it is kind, like to be compassionate is to be kind. To be patient is to be kind. To be flexible is to be kind, and so on. Um, so I think that's really a key now is that as much as some of these are in short supply, interestingly enough, uh, they're also very much in the public eye and more and more are taking over our advertising and marketing, particularly for major companies. Yes, I, I really get that. I want to ask you how to explain, I know you go into this in great detail in The Prophet of Kindness, but characteristic that seems to be sorely lacking, I think, in our world right now is flexibility. And mm -hmm. I want to know, in what ways does flexibility contribute to kindness? Well, here's the thing. What I noticed uh, with the companies we looked at is those companies that were flexible in their work schedule, flexible with their employees, allowed for an employee to have a life, for instance, that sometimes you just need some time off for whatever reason, personal, professional, et cetera, um, that they allow that, they encourage it. I remember a women's conference I went to, and one of the women I heard at Chevron told this story how when she had her baby, she couldn't figure out any kind of um, babysitting, you know. So what are you supposed to do? She's got a career. She's got a newborn-ish <laughs> uh, after maternity leave. And now, you know, she didn't know what to do with the baby. And they allowed her, you know, while she was figuring it out, so to speak, to bring in the baby, you know. And that became part of her work day. And it was okay to take uh, feeding breaks and, you know, just take care of that. She is a loyal employee and tells this story now that's flexibility that keeps that keeps employees happy and it's not just chevron it's you know everyday people it's uh small businesses uh, there are just things that happen in life you know i i remember my consulting client recently she was late for her session so i called her up hi how you doing you know time for your session and she had that well, that sound in her voice that we all know, a little bit of frustration, whatever, and she was caught in her bookkeeping craziness. And I said, you know, it doesn't strike me that right now is the right moment for you and I to talk. And she said, really? Oh, that's so good because, truthfully, I'm not really prepared. 
I said, well, no problem. We'll just reschedule. And she said, yeah, but Jill, in your in your contract, it says that you charge for sessions missed, which I love the fact that she knew that, and you have to be flexible. That wasn't mm-hmm. a good moment to hold her to the policy. But, you know, that means you still have policies, you have procedures, but sometimes the kind thing to do is to be flexible and, um, you know, just gracious with what you need to do next because maybe it isn't quite the right moment or something's going awry. Okay, so that brings up an issue that came to my mind. I want to tell you that as I read this so-called business book, The Prophet of Kindness, I found myself tearing up over some of the stories and passages. It's very well written, and I really appreciated that. Thank you. The kindnesses you talked about showed such thoughtfulness and caring and generosity. Uh, They touched my heart just uh, reading about them. And I know we all want to be treated kindly, but how do you tell the difference when you're being kind versus when you're being taken advantage of? Yeah, it's it's an interesting distinction. And I think um, there's a certain level that you you be kind and then there might be some people who quote unquote take advantage of that you know um i discovered a long time ago that sometimes my kindness was mistaken for oh you know things have happened let me just say in my life that have had me have to look at that and uh sometimes i've gotten firmer with my boundaries that helps um i've been clearer in my communication that helps um, and you can still be kind through it all. In fact, sometimes you can be kind and and be really like this doesn't work for me. That w- that will not do in this case. And you can be really firm and you can tell people no. All of that can be very kind. <laughs> it's just you know it's the way it's communicated. Well, you've just done what I think is really key in that, Jill, and that is that you were talking about yourself. This is not working for me. You weren't putting the other person down or taking them to task. You're just defining your boundary by saying what's what will work for you. And that's really key, I think. Yeah, that's really the point. I mean, the kindest thing we can do is to be clear in our communication, to support others in what they want and need, um, to take care of yourself, obviously, in however way you need to, and, you know, be aware that kindness is a key that will, shall we say, smooth the way, open doors, or just is the right thing to do in that moment, including being flexible, you know, with my client in that instance. Or I could name you story after story of where flexibility is, is really the piece that paves the way to an ongoing relationship. You know, I remember a client of mine, um, consulting client, she unfortunately got cancer, and she had to deal with health issues. Well, I put our consulting agreement on hold for three months, and she got herself well and came back and is loyal and fantastic, and, you know, all of that is wonderful. Or I could have said, I'm sorry, you know, your three-month program is over. I mean, that's just not the right thing to do, in my opinion, you know. So, again, we have to have policies and procedures, which I think is appropriate when you're in business. Of course you need to do that. But, you know, because I speak and teach all over and travel a lot, here's what I've noticed, and I'm sure you feel, you've seen the same, Eileen, is that many things are discretionary, you know, including mm-hmm. hotels and airlines. And and so, you know, when they say things like, um, you know, we're, we don't have an upgrade or, or um, we can't accommodate you in this moment, I know that's often discretionary. 
Yeah, you have a great story in your book about being told that you only have, uh, you had two nights to spend and only one night you actually had a reservation at the hotel. And uh, finally, I think you found a, a hotel where they actually said yes. And not only did they give you a reasonable quote on the on the um, room, but uh, the the woman at the front desk gave you a discount. I thought that was a wonderful, wonderful story uh, because they ended up getting your business because they were so kind to you, and I certainly understood that. Well, that, and I love it because the next morning I woke up after only four hours of sleep and, you know, on, on to a new speaking engagement. And the first thing I, when she did she said when I called down, not she, but the operator on duty, said was, you know, good morning, Miss Lublin. What a delight to serve you. How may I help you? I'm like, oh my God, I love <laughs> And And by the way, I booked two more nights at that hotel. It is Marriott Renaissance in Las Vegas. And on top of that, here I am talking about them now. And you too, right? Uh-huh. Because yeah. of their kindness. Right. So now that, that brings me to current day issues and the pathway of compassion. So we've recently had airport protests where, uh, when uh, 300 people were detained due to the so-called Muslim ban set out by our president, Mr. Trump. And the thing I want to look at here is that Trump's spokespeople offered in interviews that the whole issue wasn't as important as protesters were making it because the 300 people were not very many people compared to the 350,000 who had come in to America's entry points that day. It was an insignificant number. And to many people really seemed sorely lacking in compassion. And I wanted to ask you how you might suggest such a situation could be addressed with greater compassion. Yes, well, of course, we all know that that sparked uproar like nobody's business, and one can say that wasn't a compassionate move at all. So, yes. you know, it's it's a it's a, a hotbed of uh, so many issues tangled into one, and certainly, you know, when you just basically tell the media, you know, we're not going to talk to you, or you know, this is the deal, or that uh, provokes no compassion. And I think it's sort of these hard-edged ways that don't work. And we can see that it's not working. There are protests everywhere around, not only in the United States, but all over the world. And that's compassionate, meaning people are coming together, holding signs saying, I am a Muslim, you know, when clearly they're not. That's compassionate, right? And and so that makes a statement. And, so you know, at one level, whatever the White House press says or, you know, the official folks, at a certain level, there's not much you can do about their planned words, we'll call it. But certainly from a other side of the coin level, the compassion that the world has shown in this instance is right there. And, you know, at one level, I mean, no matter what you think uh, in terms of where you fall on the political spectrum or the issue spectrum, um, that listening to each other is important, and that respect is the new kindness. You know, it was really interesting. One of my clients was telling me this great story about being in a French restaurant in Boston, where she lives, and uh, she was celebrating her birthday. Now, she is a, in her words, fat black gay woman. That's her words. <laughs> That's how she describes herself. And she met up with a Marine 
who was very uh, loud in his opinion. And the two of them started talking, well, started talking, and then sort of the Marines go, you know, started saying his opinions, and they were having a discussion, as many of us are having these days. And she said to him, she said, you know, tell me how come you think that way. Let me understand this. And so, you know, he. she said he kept sort of yelling at her, but then he started softening, and, and she would say, well, explain that. Tell me more, you know, and, and just really listen. Now, that's compassion, by the way. And by the end of their dinner, they were, like, hugging and best of friends and exchanging numbers, and none of their opposition mattered. You wow. know what I'm saying? So that's yeah. the power of compassion. And I thought that was such a great story because that's about being kind. That's about listening to someone, although that you may not you may not agree with a word they say. They may be upsetting, very upsetting to you, um, with whatever they're speaking. And compassion allows all sides to be heard. Wow, that's a great story. And Isn't it, that wild? Leads, <laughs> it it leads into another question that I wanted to ask you because. My observation is that part of our populace feels that they haven't gotten mine for a long time and they feel a deep need to get for themselves now. And yet when you're being kind, you're not so focused on getting mine. You're focused on giving. And so, again, I'm interested in your perspective on how could we move ourselves and our populace from the I need to get mine position to what can I give position? Yeah, and you know, it isn't the easiest. I will tell you, it takes, people talk about random acts of kindness, and Eileen, I want people to practice conscious acts of kindness. That's one way to move, yes move to that and that's being awake and aware and looking for opportunities to be kind i practice a conscious act of kindness every single day and if the day goes by and i haven't done something i'll send a nice email i'll write a handwritten note i'll leave a text message something you know but i think if we if we practice that daily then what happens is the world starts getting better i mean really you know imagine what would happen if we were all doing that their world it would be a so much better place to live um you know we certainly would all i think be happier and and so that's really what it's about is taking time and uh, looking for those opportunities but really being in a it's a practice it is a practice it doesn't necessarily come natural we aren't trained to do this uh you know business has traditionally, I'll call it, been dog-eat-dog, which is sort of a weird phrase anyway. But um, I think that that's changing, and the tone is changing, and uh, we are all changing with it. So that's the good news. Yes, yes. Well, I want to step into uh, the business side of your business for a minute and have you talk with me a bit about you know, you're talking about flying around and, of course, you're promoting your book and so forth. But I want to uh, let our listeners know more about what you're doing and how they can get hold of you. So, oh, thank you... you so much. Sure. So, first of all, for Profit of Kindness, please go to ProfitofKindness.com and uh, take a look and go ahead and get the book or go to your local Barnes & Noble near you. Uh, great 
reading and simple, easy things to do. As far as uh, how I work with people, I help people get publicity and get more messaging out in the world and get their kind message out and make it work well. So if you have any need for that or as a speaker or trainer, I've been doing a, a more corporate work with regard to spreading kindness in the workplace, um, please feel free to go to jilllublin.com. That's J-I-L-L-L-U-B as in boy, L-I-N dot com, jilllublin.com. And to reach me direct, please email us to support at jilllublin.com. And let's see how we can get your message out in the world. And I'll do a testimonial for you. I've known you for a number of years through the National Speakers Association, and you are a person of great integrity and a person of your word and also skillful. So let me just back you up and say you're oh. a wonderful person to work with. Thank you so much for that. That's yeah. that's very kind of you, and I appreciate that. Well, good. I can be kind again today, too. I'll call you later and... <laughs> You know, it feels good to be kind. Uh, so uh, it, another of the pathways is generosity. And it's not only generosity with others, it's generosity with yourself, I think. Yeah, how about taking care of self? Yes, saying what works in different communications. Absolutely. Knowing that to be kind to oneself is actually about being kind to everybody, um, you know. So that sometimes that does mean saying, I, I mean, I've had times where I have a consulting client ready to go, or and just maybe I'm having a really rough day, or uh, I'm not going to be the best for my client, and I have told the truth in this instance, uh, or, you know, when it's happened, and just said, you know, for whatever reason, you know, whatever the circumstances. And I find, funny enough, when I tell the truth, they go, absolutely no problem. I appreciate you telling me that. Half the time they weren't, you know, felt great about that. Oh, good, you know. So it's so interesting to me that as we tell the truth and just really um, allow each other that flexibility, that openness, all of that good stuff, that what happens is everybody wins and, frankly, um, Nobody's left behind is kind of how I want to say that. Yeah. You know, uh, my uh, husband, Bob, who was a neurosurgeon for 47 years and also an uh, expert um, witness in legal cases, malpractice cases, uh, he made an observation that was similar to that. He said, you know, doctors, by the way, he was never uh, sued in 47 years of being a neurosurgeon, which is practically unheard of. I was very impressed. He was a very honest person. And his observation when he started looking at the malpractice cases, you know, attorneys will tell you not to be honest with people, to keep your mouth shut uh, sort of thing. And he found that if a doctor said, yes, I made a mistake, I'm sorry about that, here's how we can address fixing it, that people were willing to forgive and let it go and accept mm. that the doctor was human. But if they if the doctor didn't accept the responsibility, they would get angry with the doctor and they were out for blood, all puns intended. Mm, interesting. Yep, isn't yeah, that the yeah. truth? I think that goes for everything in business, everything in life. Just say, here's what's true. 
we're doing our best to take care of it. Right. And not only that, you don't have to cover yourself or try to remember some story that you told in the past so you get your facts straight. So uh, let's talk about positivity. Um, you know, as a, as a psychotherapist, uh, we hear often that the human brain tends to go to the negative more than to the positive. And you're identifying uh, that part of kindness is positivity. So uh, talk to me a little bit about positivity and how we, on a person-by-person basis, can bring more positivity into our own lives and into the world. Um, So, first of all, you know, it's an attitude that starts with an attitude, And that's not to say you have to be Pollyanna all the time, but I think starting from a place called, okay, I'm going to bring my best self, I'm going to bring the most positive uh, environment I can, attitude I can. Today I was talking to actually another radio host who was telling me this great story about her daughter who works in a corporate environment. They gave them some really bad news, and uh, she took the lead role because nobody was doing anything and or speaking up. And she basically said, you know, she took a positive lead, gave them some good words that they could use, and people go, oh, you're so positive. You know, if that's the worst thing she's known for, as she said, uh, you know, she was happy. So I think that's really uh, the issue is, is um, in, you know, in her case, it wasn't a positive environment. That didn't mean she couldn't be positive. So always choose positivity. It'll make a huge difference. This may seem obvious, but how would you connect kindness to love? You know, what what's interesting about kindness is that people feel more love in its presence. We can all think about this. Like every t- anytime somebody was kind to you, didn't you feel more love just immediately? Didn't you feel your heart expanded? Didn't you feel better just in whatever way, right? No matter who you are as a person or what kind of temperament you might have, I would I would bet every single person feels better. Wow. I, I really like that. So um, is there any – I don't want to ask it that way. What do you want people to carry with them from hearing you talk about kindness today? Mm, thank you. Well, number one, I want I want to, you to practice conscious acts of kindness and look for things you can do every day, daily, at least once, to make a difference and be more kind. Number two, to understand that uh, that this is a remedy for lots of what's going on in the world, for perhaps your own upset at whatever's going on in your life, um, that you know to take those moments and. And to step back, you know, Eileen, you're a therapist, you understand about reactivity. I I think if we react from a more kind place, the world will be a better place. And that's mostly what I want for everyone is is more kindness in the world and that step by step, you know, that old song, what a wonderful world it would be if we were all more kind. That's really what I want to leave your listeners with. That's beautiful, Jill. So your book, as I said before, is really well written. You've got so many examples. It's touching and inspiring, and I really enjoyed reading it. And I also think that the idea of bringing our humanity, our kindness, back into business and into our lives is most appealing and 
your timing couldn't be better because we need to be kind to others and ourselves, especially in these times of great change. And I think it's really great to know that when we are kind, we can also have more successful businesses and increase our bottom line. So I want to thank you for writing the book, doing the research, and also for appearing with us here today on Full Power Living. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's time for our first break. When we return, I'm going to talk with you about one instance of offering kindness to our own self that has created a powerful transformation. You are part of that transformation. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Everybody feels anger, but if you don't learn to deal with it, anger can mess up your life. It can cause you relationship problems, difficulties on the job, or create health problems. If you want a way to understand and work with anger that's simple yet so powerful it helps you to put an end to the specific angers that are messing up your life, then you'll want to get a copy of a mini course I've created for you entitled Reduce Anger Now. With it, I want you to be able to figure out what's stimulating the anger you feel and have an easy way to change that anger so you can dramatically reduce the anger in your life. I'm Eileen Dillon, the Emotional Pro, longtime psychotherapist, coach, and anger expert. I've helped thousands of people to master anger, and I want you to begin to become an anger master in your life. Order Reduce Anger Now at the store, www.emotionalpro.com. That's www.emotionalpro.com. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we spent the first half of today's show talking with businesswoman, publicity maven, and consultant Jill Lublin about ideas from her just-released best-selling book, The Prophet of Kindness. Now, I want to talk with you about self-kindness and where it's taking me. Since you're part of this journey, I'm grateful that you're here. Well, all of us, As I'm sure we don't have to describe to you, we're involved in a big change. We can no longer deny that the proverbial rug is being pulled out from under our feet. Just in the last month, the way we view our country and its position in the world has changed drastically, for example. Likely in your own life, you've experienced block changes and accidents or relationship issues that have required you to alter the way you see things or the way you've been living. This is certainly true of me. As many of you know, in January of 2016, my husband Bob died from complications of prostate cancer. He was in unending pain that the doctors were unsuccessful in relieving, so he made the decision to call in hospice, and we did what we could to help him to the speedy death that he wanted. And I must say that I think our family did a great job of helping Bob to fulfill his decision to leave this world. And our work together created a tremendous amount of closeness and a feeling of satisfaction and deep love for him and among us. Now, 
I'd been telling people that when Bob died, because we knew inevitably he would because his cancer was getting worse, that I would give myself a year of staying in our home, tending to my garden and our pets before I made any big decisions about changing my life. And that, I'm here to tell you, turned out to be a big fairy tale. Because once I started looking at the financial situation, I realized that to have the funds I needed to live another 20 or 30 years, which I fully expect to do, I needed to sell our home. And I needed to sell it immediately because interest rates were low and the housing market in our area was strong. And it was an election year, so all of that could change in a very short time. Well, unless you are a person who sorts and tosses regularly, I'll wager that your home is also full of things that you might need someday but aren't using that are taking up space. My home was full of such items. My husband and I were each other's third spouse. So our house was full of things from our marriage but also from each of our previous marriages that we hadn't turned loose of yet. And it was now entirely up to me to evaluate and turn loose those roomfuls of stuff. And this job was made more imperative because of the decision that I made about what I was going to do next in my life. I decided to purchase a 25-foot Class B recreational vehicle and take off. You'll know that because I've been called the emotional for 20 years, it means that I decide things with my heart at least equally, if not more so, than with my head. And my heart told me this decision was totally right. And curiously, through a series of serendipitous events, I felt led to the exact right RV for me. It's a van that's assembled in Manitoba, Canada, with a Murphy bed that folds up into the walls called a leisure van. And, and you'll see what I mean by serendipity, the Northern California dealer that sells these vans turned out to be about 10 blocks from my son's home in Davis, California, where I'm now staying. My van is to be delivered by the end of February, and I'll be departing for my time on the road in April. Once I've done some dry runs and set up a solar and battery system that will allow me to go off the electrical grid. Well, in the meantime, I still wanted to work, so I've teamed up with a mentor, Debbie Allen, who is helping me to develop the next phase of my business, which I'm going to be conducting while I'm on the road. We're calling it Emotional Mastery for Life. And the tagline is Master Your Emotional State with the Skills to Create Lasting Change. I'm planning to do podcasts, to write books, to give workshops and speeches, and do individual and group coaching, all from my lovely van. But now I need time to plan, to set it up and do this new adventure. Yesterday was my last day after 45 years of having an office as a psychotherapist. And March 2nd will be the last day I'm going to be doing the Full Power Living Radio Show until September of 2017. So March 2nd will be our last show in our 13-year run for now. So if you've subscribed to our list, we're going to keep you informed. I'm going to be setting up a trip blog so you can follow along on my adventures if you wish. And I'll also be able to keep you up to date on plans for this show 
and invite you back when we're ready to resume. If you're not currently a subscriber but you'd like to stay connected, please go to EmotionalPro.com and subscribe. And do it now before you forget. In the meantime, I want to share a little bit about what Full Power Living has meant to me from the time I started it in June of 2004. First of all, when we began, I knew absolutely nothing about conducting a radio broadcast. I will say I won a prize in high school for directing a radio play in my speech class, and my program was voted the best one of the year, and that did give me a lot of confidence. But when we began, I knew absolutely nothing about conducting a radio broadcast. I signed on for a six-week contract with an internet radio station, and they told me they'd hold my hand, give me feedback on how I was doing, and so forth. Nothing could have been further from the truth. I was so frightened of going on the air that I got my relatives and friends to interview me, to be interviewed, and to share themselves and their adventures on my program. The first big-name person who agreed to appear was Greg Braden, author of The God Code and The Isaiah Effect. Even Greg was the friend of a friend. Eventually, I got confident in inviting people largely because it turned out that very, very few, maybe five in 13 years, ever turned my invitation down. In retrospect, I believe I was getting some heavenly help, that this was a venture I was meant to undertake. Well, one thing I vowed to do, and this was largely because of my concern about being unprepared and being in the public eye, was to read the book of my guests so I'd get to know them and to write out the real questions that I had in my own mind after encountering their thoughts and their work. It actually turned out that this was a great idea because it caused my guests to enjoy being on my show. They often told me how great it was to have someone talk to them who actually understood something of what they were talking about. Now, what you need to understand, most radio broadcasts, the person who's going to be the guest provides the host of the show with a list of 10 questions. And that's what the host of the show uses to interview them. And it also means, however, that the guest gets asked the same questions over and over and over again, which is good for getting out your message, but can be boring. So it was helpful that somebody such as myself took the time to write my own questions. And we had a wonderful time. Many people said it was like visiting me in my living room. And it felt that way on my side too. The good thing is that this approach caused me to develop a reputation After a while, the publicity and book agents for cutting-edge thinkers in the world started approaching me, asking me to feature their clients on my show. And because we were focused on awakening the world to the power, importance, and mastery of human emotions, we ended up featuring guests from all parts of life. And I found it extremely interesting. Well, from the beginning, I didn't make any money doing this show. 
In fact, for the entire 13 years, I have paid to be on the air. Whatever costs there were, I've paid personally. I chose to do this in the beginning because I didn't want any control over my format or content. Occasionally, though, especially during the five years of my husband's poor health, I thought of closing the show down. And then one day I had an epiphany. It seemed to me that every week I was learning the most amazing things. And it seemed like the radio show was designed in my life to ensure that I continued to learn and grow. Listeners could also grow. You could also grow. But that weekly book I read with the privilege of questioning the author for an hour on the air turned out to be something like I was engaged in a PhD program. I was doing in-depth learning about relationships, spiritual pathways, recovery programs, lucid dreaming, in the environment, physical and mental health, and new discoveries that were affecting all of us. On the show, we talked about the new fields of epigenetics. I interviewed Dr. David Simon, who was co-founder of the Deepak Chopra Institute in San Diego. Dr. Marilyn Schlitz, head of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. I interviewed Eckhart Tolle's publisher, Constance Kellogg, and another person that Constance published, whom I love, is Michael Brown. Relationship guru Dr. Harville Hendricks was on my show. The owner-publisher of the Chicken Soup for the Soul franchise was on our show. The actress Mariel Hemingway, the psychic Sylvia Brown. I talked about Buddha with Dr. Rick Hansen, with the Gradens, who are owners of the People's Pharmacy, with Dr. Bruce Lipton about the biology of belief, and with a best-selling author concerned with emotions in animals, Dr. Jeffrey Mason, who is author of the book When Elephants Weep, and also the dog who loved too much. My list goes on and on and on, and I learned incredible amount from each one of these people and all the others that have been on. One of the most touching shows that I did was with Dr. Kenneth Maddock, a co-director of the Katrina Clinic at the Houston Astrodome, who talked with me about all the very human and heroic things the medical people in the Houston area had done for victims of Hurricane Katrina. Well, I'm no longer shy about asking people to talk with me. In fact, I've noticed something about myself. I tend to now interview almost everybody I meet. If I met you on the street, I'd suddenly be interviewing you about your life and what's important to you and what you've learned. I know that I'm not going to stop being interested in the life stories and the caring gifts of people who are working to improve themselves and the world. Well, I've chosen to spend time today to tell you what a wonderful opportunity you have given me as a listener, as a caller, 
as a guest through the Full Power Living broadcast that we've done over the past 13 years. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening, for sharing, for offering your thoughts, your opinions, asking your questions, and giving us your feedback and your ears. We are going to be back. We're just taking time to regroup, rethink, and restart. It has been my honor to serve you in this way, and I look forward to having you with us again. In the meantime, I invite you to listen to the archive shows you may have missed. We've got 13 years worth on EmotionalPro.com. And I also invite you to write me at Eileen at EmotionalPro.com. That's I-L-E-N-E at EmotionalPro.com. I would love to hear you, and I have more time to hear from you now, too, by the way. For 10 of those 13 years... Paul Johnston of Fresh Talk Media has been our producer, along with his wife, Robin Johnston. Through thick and thin, with patience and suggestions and humor and backup, Paul and Robin have helped me in this venture. Thank you. The other person who's been stalwart is my dear, dear friend, life coach, and minister from the universe, Dakey Fox. Dakey has put out our announcements. She's co-hosted the show. She's filled in when we needed her to. She's offered ideas for shows, edited my voluminous writings, etc., etc., etc. My dear friend Dakey, I could not have begun to do this without you. And then there's my son Jonathan, who has listened to broadcasts, read the books I sent him that I was excited about, and especially in the early days, actually taught me and directed me to the technology I needed to even do the show. Thank you, Jonathan. There are many, many others, too many to name individually. You know who you are. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And thank you to all the wonderful guests we've had on over the years, and most especially for your courage. You know, most of the people who appeared on this show have had sometimes horrendous life experiences. And rather than folding up and and casting off their tent, they've dug in and learned what they needed to learn, and then they've shared it with other people. And that's what their book is about, and that's why they wanted to be on Full Power Living. And to all of you, I salute your courage as well as your gift in giving to others the peace of living life that you learned about, the help that you wanted to give to others. Well, that's it about Full Power Living. We'll have a few more shows through March 2nd, and then we're going silent until September. Thank you for listening to this explanation. Thank you for being part of this venture. And for now, I am Eileen Dillon reminding you to pay attention not to what you want to overcome, but to what you want to become. It's what I'm doing. Full Power Living with Eileen Dillon.